You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hi. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And we are traveling back to Japan, this time via boat, to discuss Seedmouth's Titanic from 1996. That's right, and we are also traveling all the way back to 1912, April, for a night to remember. Out on the freezing cold ocean. That's right, as we discuss this absolutely stunning and astounding album. Got a 2020 CD reissue from Swayzon Studio. Uh, and uh, again, originally from 1996 on CD, a lot of seed mouth on tape. There's only a handful of CDs, but this is one of them. And what a CD it is. But before we dive in to the icy waters, Connelly's, what have you been listening to? Well, two albums that just came out that maybe is on your list because I know you listen to them as well. Because we discussed them already today. <laughs> and that would be a brand new Grunt Splatter album. Yes. Mm, boy. It's incredible. It's really good. I haven't listened to the entire thing yet. I previewed both of them and then I had to run some errands. So they just came out this morning. So I didn't yeah. get to dig all the way in. But what I heard was great. And I, I mean, I listened to like a... About a four-second preview while purchasing, <laughs> but there wasn't any question about right. grabbing both of those, both on CD, Corvide Cabal and Grunt Splatter, right? And uh, yes, mm-hmm. yes, and it's gr- actually perfect to listen to before doing this album because yeah, good precursor, good transition right. because it it does have that the moodiness, the noise ambient, yeah. right? And which is and in an interview, Seedmouth even says it's ambient noise, right? And mm-hmm. so. It was a perfect lead into this. And yes, the Court of a Cabal new album as well. And you can pick those up. Of course, we're going to have Link. Absolutely high, high recommendation for both those albums. So great, great time to check out a new Grunt Splatter, new Court of a Cabal support, Scott. And we'll, of course, have the links up to grab so you can have... Your own copy. But yeah, that's really that's really the best thing of note and the most fitting leading up to Seedmouth Titanic. What about you, Gray? I uh, listened to Hasufel's Shroud cassette, uh, two kind of classic Hasufel songs on one side and a more droning kind of staticky noise piece on the b-side very enjoyable stuff and i popped on an oldie but a goodie s cores gush on extreme uh which i think was another nice thing to play listening up to this <laughs> like oh for sure just ambient and noise and some weird rhythmic bits percussive bits in it and i mean i'll just i can listen to s all day probably every mm. day and not get sick of it so that uh that was a pleasure to play i hadn't listened to it in a while and tossed it on and you know not a lot of tapes i don't have a lot of tapes on extreme and uh this one's it's nice to to break one out and put it put it in the tape deck so and i really th- certainly think of escorn seedmouth in a in a similar zone as far as very unique very varied yes mm-hmm. in their approach <laughs> Absolutely. right and just something so personal about each project that every time you come back, you're going to discover some, some new stuff. They both have these emotive soundscapes and you don't know what shape they may take, but uh, they could be widely varied, but certainly come from internal spaces and then recreate in them sonically for us. Absolutely. Then I also played the uh, Cosmoloco compilation on Galactoro. House of Rafna, Subliminal, Carl Runau, Masca Genetic, and November Novelet on it. Two songs by each. They've done two volumes of the Cosmoloco compilation and hoping there's a third in the works. It's always nice, these these samplers, but it's not one track by 10 bands. It's, you know, you get 
couple tracks from each band to give you, especially some of these projects have sort of different sides and different elements in them and they let both shine on the compilation. I think it's a, it's a cool style. Is it a newer thing or is it an older no, thing? No, it's an older thing. I just, uh, I picked mm-hmm. up the CD in one of those cloister sales and had just been jamming it every now and again. And I have the, I had the record from forever ago, but gotcha. uh, the convenience of the CD. Hey, <laughs> in that studio when you're working on stuff, right? Actually, this was in the car, which is like, oh, it's, oh, it's oh, a great fancy. listen for that because there's a nice mix of sort of rhythmic noise and it's easy to blast loud and roll the windows down. However, I didn't roll the windows down while listening to this seed mouth record. I turned the AC up real cold, full blast to capture a night at sea in the cold. That's the vibe. Seed mouth Titanic. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard both of us talk about listening to these seed mouth CDs that got reissued uh, in previous recent listenings. And I guess it's only natural that it's time to to talk about one of them and Titanic. It is three tracks, 65 minutes and it pulls you right in to the icy depths. I mean, it's a really emotive sound as Tara had mentioned. And it's a really, it's really dense with detail, but also just hazy and foggy and hard to decipher the individual elements at times. But the sound is always great yeah since really getting these reissues on Swayzon studio sure i pronounced that wrong but hey that's how i pronounced it been really excited to discuss seed mouth and it's a project that's really hit us hard in the past year or so and it's I really wanted to discuss this one, not only sonically, but I thought it'd be really cool to discuss the actual Titanic and the events leading up to that fateful night in April of 1912. So we're going to be discussing the history of the Titanic and its voyage, as well as discussing this album. But I think this album is a perfect audio representation of the feelings I get when thinking about the Titanic. Yes, absolutely agree. And that the story of the Titanic just makes such an emotional impact and it clearly impacted, you know, everybody within society at the time and for a century afterwards. So it is chilling to think about the actual Titanic and then listen to this album and let your mind wander into all of those dark and cold ghostly places uh, with this. Well, and I think that Seedmouth himself in the interview in Ongaku Otaku, Mason Jones's zine from the 90s, he says that Well, I'll just quote him directly. How about that? My noise sound is not simple noise. My sound has some emotion. The emotion you maybe keep in your mind, but it's mine maybe Japanese mind. I call my sound ambient noise. And immediately from the first minute, this is full of emotion. And it's immediately beautiful and somber and subtle movements begin right away and are going to continue for the next 43 minutes on this first track, Ghost Voice of Titanic. And if you aren't interested in listening to an album called Titanic and there's a track called Ghost Voice of Titanic, I don't know what you would be interested in because to me, that is perfection. Yeah, and if if for some reason it didn't sway you, the first seconds of this had better because it is so dense, foggy. You you said somber, and that's that's really correct. There is a melodic undercurrent to this whole thing, and I think, you know, it it calls to mind something that would sort of uh, like the caretaker that project that I know you know people love this sort of I don't know s- slowed down crackly seventy eights ghost melody kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
it's this is long form, one long piece, not a vignette, not a repurposed music. This is murky noise pushing through the haze and an emotive melody carrying the piece. And there's excellent use of repetition that just it continues to evolve but it carries on with its theme throughout the entire thing. And and we see different elements introduced and come to the surface here, but it's, it's all just kind of suffocated under this fog as well. And it, it captures you, it traps you in the sound. Like it is uh, frozen in ice. It really, you are pulled right into this thing and it, carries you away i i love this track and what a way to open the cd with the longest track on the cd at <laughs> oh, almost 44 minutes you know yeah it's so wild that this track is so remarkable because it it feels so natural and organic that you think it's just something that happened live but it also flows so perfectly that it can't be live because it's so it's composed in such a way that it takes you on this journey. And, you know, it has events in it that drop you into different mental spaces. It's really remarkable. And this is a perfect example to me of taking something that's so recognizable, like the Titanic, but it's also him talking about his his mind. Yeah. Right? And his emotions. And so it's using the Titanic as a vessel to explore these feelings within him through the sound and then through that imagery. And I think that it's truly incredible. And he's such a fascinating person. Right. Uh, Tara, actually, what is, we're, we're, we'll refer to him as Seedmouth only because of our horrible pronunciation. But for the record, Seedmouth is Tanaguchi Hirohito. Um, and unfortunately, he is no longer with us since 2010. Um, but you can see many performances of his online. Uh, thankfully, they were captured. You may be familiar with him on Kingdom of Noise, but I highly recommend just getting in a Seedmouth hole and watching his videos because they truly are um, so fascinating so interesting and and have all of these qualities like it, it's when you see somebody that that's got it you know what I mean like that whatever they're doing is interesting and fun to watch and you can't put your finger on it and you know some people can try really hard and do 20 things at once and it's just dull and uninteresting but seed has got it I mean the, you know? these videos He's, these videos are really great I, I would actually the only sad thing is they're only like two minutes each, but there's a lot, mm -hmm. but they're only little clips from a full set. They're so incredible. They go the range that he does in his recordings. There's a, there's mm -hmm. footage from Northern California. Maybe it's a Nora Cal noise fest. I'm not sure it's outside. It looks like in some, it's in someone's backyard and he's got some sort of long sort of shaker like rain. It almost looks like a thing you'd get at a, yeah, like a rain stick, like a toy, but like yeah. a toy, like a yeah, like plastic, at a Walmart or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he's just sort of running that through some pedals and he's doing vocals and it's, it's like pretty, it's just really good noise. And yeah. then there's other sets that, that are more ambient. And then there's other sets where he's, there's like a beat and he's playing a keyboard. There's the, and so there's a great one where he's just sitting on the stage and almost doing nothing. And it's just one of the best things you've it's ever like seen. Meditative. So highly high. We'll of course put a link up to his YouTube that or somebody obviously uploaded it. I don't know when these were all uploaded. He started recording in 1976 and he never had his first release until 1981. Yeah. So, he, I mean, he was going for so long. Right. And but then with when he started doing the seed records and the seed tapes, seed mouth tapes, I mean, that's really when it started. Just you just see this world he creates. Yeah. He's like the iceberg. There's a lot going on under the surface of him. You know, that performance on Kingdom of Noise, too, is such a great one because it's so different from the rest of that video where you've got like the harshest of the harsh on there. And then you've got you've got Seedmouth. And I think that that's a really cool thing to have, kind of have that portrait of him. Yeah, the video on Kingdom of Noise is a video for the last track on this Twilight City. And it is it's really is 
it's always been one of the standouts on that video because of how unique it is. And it's always been just a mystery to me because this stuff, you know, is it's it's so, I mean, it's out there, but it's somewhere in the ether. So we can be really thankful for these CD reissues. And there's actually some great liner notes in them. The one thing that seems to be a a um, a constant through line for tales about him as a person uh, would be that he made late night phone calls to his friends to discuss life. Uh, and I think that yes. is um, charming and relatable. I think that's so cool. And and then we also had another great story, if I'm not mistaken, from Joe Colley, where they sh- they went to they stayed at Seedmouth's house with his parents. And didn't they get, a, get didn't they have like sweatpants and stuff? Oh, like yes. for them. Right, right. <laughs> How cool is the that? The ultimate hospitality. Oh, oh so I just so amazing. I, and, and he was pretty far from from Tokyo. Yeah, he was to- in Toyama and the Niigata prefecture, so it's like to the north but between Osaka and Tokyo. Yeah, it's 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 sort of I obviously having never been to Japan and only seen it on a map, it is hard for me to sort of conceptualize the distance between things or how long it would take. Just like in Los Angeles, you think something's four miles, so it'll be close, but then you realize that takes you forty five minutes. So I don't know what <laughs> uh transportation is like in Japan for those areas, but um it seems to be in a different zone completely. One of the things we learned, like when talking to David Hopkins and and reading through the Rumors of Noizu book, is how much region kind of matters in Japan, and you don't really realize mm-hmm. that as an outsider without any kind of background info on that. But these different pockets of noise were happening in different places, and they weren't close together. I mean, it's it's one of those things, like you know, thinking about stretching to the Midwest, to the West Coast, to the East Coast, whatever, and. That you see that same thing in Japan, but I guess, you know, sometimes things get unfairly lumped as just Japanese noise, but there's so many different styles, like mm-hmm. Seedmouth's Japanese noise. Seedmouth doesn't sound like Masano, <laughs> you know? Right, and right. I just love that this stuff was going on at a time, and also some of it feels so isolated or in its own universe. And Seedmouth, of course, created his own universe. I mean, this stuff from running his label and from just the type of sounds he worked with and not being afraid to use piano on this and maybe some synth uh, or string synth or something in here for some of these melodies. But there's also garbled radio transmissions that have been processed and some weird feedback and maybe contact microphone or just some other kind of microphone stuff going on. And it's there's on the second track, which we'll get to there's, there's like some very obvious, like, insane synth <laughs> modulation stuff yeah. going on and other things have rhythm and t- toys and whatever kind of strange sounds he could find. And I think that that willingness to open up the palette outside of kind of, you know, what we now think of as traditional noise stuff, but in 1976 or 1981 or even 1996 was still uh, something experimental. He was melding all of these things. There are harsh moments to seed mouth and there's also, beautiful melancholy emotive moments yes and i mean and ghost voice of titanic has almost all of that you know what what you what yeah. we said because you know it, it, and it and it comes and goes and it's in the distance and then it's in the foreground and you know there's just it, to me a lot of it it was maybe partly the distance of the sea and the out and the 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 glassy sea right and the just infinite view but then also the distance in the ship the ship was enormous right Mm -hmm. so maybe you're hearing things down the you know down the hallways and and then there's also an underlying sense of dread and to me this is of course the just the to me to me the thought of being on a ship in the middle of the sea in 2021 Fills me with dread. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. the feeling in 1912 when it's a brand new thing or a relatively new thing to be sailing from Southampton all the way to New York City, which was the route that the Titanic. Well, it wasn't took. so much new, but this ship was certainly new. And you know, we've we've made our feelings about being on the open ocean very clear. Mike and I don't like it. We don't want to do it. No, thank you. 
Uh, and, you know, this ship was appealing to people who were afraid of the ocean because it was deemed unsinkable. It had this new technology, which clearly had some design flaws um, that was supposed to prevent this from happening because frequently, you know, you could encounter things like icebergs and rocks and and sink a ship. So uh, even saying that something's unsinkable and then proving that it's sinkable just adds this crazy element, this emotional element to it of uncertainty of humanity. And this first track, like Ghost Voice of the Titanic, I, you know, the my thought was just that this is a reminder that our blissful states are fleeting and after they're over, we're just left with their ghosts in our head. So it's like this ghost of beauty that we once knew is haunting us. And everybody knows in those moments when you're in supreme joy and everything's going well, that it's temporary. It's not going to be forever. So it's like trying to hang on to that feeling, even though you know it's over and letting it resound within you even after it's over and you are confronted with a nightmare. And, you know, in this track, there there's not a moment of stillness in this track, in the details, right? And so there, it's constantly shifting and evolving. Mm-hmm. But when you pull out, it's this massive sort of monumental piece, like the ship, right? It's so 43 it's this, minutes. Right. But then when you dig in, it's... It's the thousands of people on the ship. It's the it's the captain. It's the people working on the ship. It's the fifteen hundred people that perished in frozen waters and were not recovered. Yeah, and so I think it's this is just such a. Ah, it's it, it, this is just. I mean, to me, to me, this is perfect music, and 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 it's just this is something I could listen to over and over again and you can you you get out you get out of it what you put into it so you can put into like today's listen we're just really digging deep you could also put it on and just have it wash over you and maybe maybe take the thoughts out of your brain there's many ways to listen to this and i think that's the power of great pieces of music can do that you can you they can they can take on different shapes and to me this is a perfect piece of yeah music. heads up we're gonna gush over this because <laughs> uh I, I think we all three of us feel the same way that this is just uh it's gush worthy it's it's wonderful it's perfect uh it takes us to so many places hey gush like the escort tape absolutely yes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear you want to hear three people gush about some projects <laughs> <laughs> Play some seed mouth and some escort. And we'll yeah, gush. Maybe some contagious orgasm, you know. Oh, we'll oh, gush. Lord. We'll gush. Good we'll God. gush. And, you know, the it is in the details on this that it shines yes. and really sets itself apart. And, yeah, I had a... Uh, I had a vision of, you know, it's ghost voice of Titanic. You think of maybe a, a ghostly apparition, a, a glowing, transparent reliving of that events and what it might sound like at a distance. And that's this piece to me. It really is. So there's garbled broadcasts that are trying to crack through the general din and maybe some conversation vocals or, or speaking or field recordings. And there's some droning feedback, maybe from the intercom system being left on, you know, and so as when someone has already abandoned the ship or or the room that it was in Mm -hmm. and, the there's there is a constant melodic movement in this piece, but it is so muted and subdued and subtle. But at times it does creep out. Like even you know, this is a forty four minute piece. At twenty eight minutes, the melody starts to kind of push through and get a little louder and make itself a little more apparent and clear. But that's twenty eight minutes <laughs> into this thing. You're a half hour in before you even get a, a good picture of being able to tell what that melody is because you're moving through so many different zones, but with a really great subtlety and and depth, a breadth of sound that just continues to evolve. And I, it's this is a special piece by a special project and. Uh, it it show it continues to show itself while you're getting pulled into this, and it's 
never gets harsh, but there are certainly moments where noise is used expertly to help convey the image that it's trying to portray. Yeah. It's like graceful danger. Like everything, like I'm such a sucker for that chord progression style where it's just like diminished chord and it just like opens up. And, but at the same time, it has that beautiful chord progression and then that dangerous crackling and noise and something ominous alongside. It's like that old fairy tale of Hans, my hedgehog. It, he always said he played a song that said hello and goodbye at the same time. And I kept thinking about that on this track. It says hello and goodbye uh, at the same time. It's just this beautiful, but thing that you know is going to end. Yes. And the Titanic itself, you know, had a very, had a, had a short life. And it it was very much hello and goodbye. And started construction in 1909 and finished only a few days before the maiden voyage. And it's it's and it's only voyage was constructed in Belfast, uh, which at that time was still just Ireland. Now it is, of course, Northern Ireland by shipbuilders Harland and Wolf. It was the biggest movable object. That existed at the time. Yeah. And so even just the. the and it had the most state of the art, inter, like not intercom system, but telegraph system. It was a radio telegraph and it was the most powerful radio telegraph that existed at the time as well. To me, the thing that is so terrifying about the ocean is the vastness and the and the largeness of it. And then the large the largeness of things within the ocean, whales. <laughs> Sharks. Oh, there are things but in the ocean that trenches. humans have never encountered. Right. You yeah, that's every, something to be scared about. Well, yes. every deep sea dive, whenever they use those um, mega deep pods, that almost every single time they discover a, a new form of life that they didn't know existed. Yeah, there, exactly. But there the are things, things that exist there that we will never, ever know. That's I mean, I right. think for me, the most terrifying part of the ocean is that it can just swallow you without a trace and it can just swallow the Titanic without a trace. It can house an iceberg the size of an island and we don't know it. And that is wild. That's right. And so the scale of the Titanic itself is already sort of terrifying to me. And then for it to be, you know, in the middle of the ocean, that's terrifying to me. But thousands of people were ready to do this. And it would actually would have been more people. It wasn't actually full. They expected it this first voyage for it to be full, but it actually wasn't. There was a coal strike that was happening at the time. So people were, weren't working or just weren't able to book that voyage, right? And so there was actually a lot fewer people on board than would have been had it been a sold out trip. And, you know, it was funny. We were talking like, how long would it take you to get by uh, from the Titanic from England to New York? So, and it's like, well, you so could you, tell me a month and I'd be like, sure, it, you could it, tell me a week. And I'd be like, OK, yeah, you basically <laughs> I I have no no I, concept. Yeah. If you could have told me three months and I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It probably would take three months. I think that's sail ship. It takes like three months. <laughs> I mean, but, that's about how long it takes to get a package if they send it on a ship. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So that's, that's part how of it, we're right? gauging how long that's it part takes. Of it. But no, this this trip was scheduled to be one week seven days yeah april 10th 1912 to april 17th 1912 so from southampton uh, in england uh to new york city and the time that it hit the iceberg it's much like when i think of earthquakes why is it got to be the middle of the night it's 11 4 it's not the middle of the night but it's night enough when you're on a boat cuz they had already turned out all the lights and trying to encourage people to go to bed there's it's no 11... street lights nearby no <laughs> no up. and you're the right 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 and it's not like it's warm outside you're not going to like go out and walk the deck sure there's a heated pool but that doesn't do you any good right now 
So it's 11.40 p.m. when they hit the iceberg, despite getting many, many warnings through the telegraph machine that they had. But that telegraph was being overworked because the people on board were sending telegraphs and they were receiving all the personal telegraphs from people. And it's not uncommon to get iceberg warnings. So they received multiple, multiple warnings that there were heavy ice ahead. And it shows that in 1912 was like the peak of ice and icebergs in the area. And the one in particular that, um, you know, met its fate on the hull of the Titanic had recently calved uh, off of uh, Greenland and floated into the waters. Correct. And yeah, the, the captain of the ship, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, obviously it was in retrospect, but at the time it wasn't negligent to just plow through ice with something like the ship that the Titanic was, the technology that had been used to make it. They they, they had done this many times with ships less equipped for something like Mm -hmm. that. So while obviously in retrospect, it was the one of the worst decisions you can understand why that decision was made at the time because the captain had done it multiple times. And they did try to bank to the side of it. And they, and you know, they did, they did avoid a head on collision with this iceberg. Uh, unfortunately they did not bank far enough and it did just pierce the hull in five compartments Four, it might've been able to handle, but five. See, that's that's that. Yeah. That's the other tragic thing. So there's there was, so many, there's there so six, many near misses. There were 16 watertight compartments that if four had been breached, you, they would have been fine, but anything over four is, it would have been a, a dis, the disaster that it ended up and being. It, and they, and it breached five. And if it had remained upright, it wouldn't have traveled to all compartments, but it was the listing to the side that um, submerged those allegedly watertight compartments. So water was able to go over the top of each compartment and flip the ship. Other crazy near misses at, after they hit the iceberg, they sent out a distress signal and they sent out white flares to signal that they were in, in mortal danger. And there was a nearby ship because they had seen the lights from it earlier in the night. And that was the California. Yeah, the Californian, and it was actually it was the it was the ship that had one of the main ships that had warned them about the ice, and but they were they were pretty close, but they, for you know a number of bad decisions and reasons, didn't respond to the flares or the Morse code until it was too late. Had they done it in the in the proper amount of time, they would have saved. Well, speculatively, they would have saved. They would have been able to save all many, of the passengers on board. Maybe so, not all, but many lives. But, so here's. It's the Californian. So here's the message, the telegraph message that the Californian sent the Titanic earlier in the night. At 1040, they said, say, old man, we're stopped and surrounded by ice. The Titanic's reply, shut up, shut up. I am busy. So the Titanic replied to the Californian. The Californian sent the Titanic a message. They were nearby stopped due to ice flows. And they said, we're stopped and surrounded by ice. The Titanic's reply was shut up, shut up. I am busy. And then afterwards, the man running the telegraph on the Californian went to bed. Uh, So he was asleep and they were unable to receive their distress signals because he was already in bed. The Californians did have to live with what happened afterwards. Can you imagine being that telegraph operator? Uh, Because then you have how many people's lives? 1,500 at least perished? Yeah, exactly. On your conscience forever. Absolutely, absolutely. And we should note that the captain of the Titanic, Edward Smith, and he had done many, many voyages before and, again, had done things like going through the ice. Uh, And so, you know, he really did think that what he was doing was going to be safe. And unfortunately, it wasn't. But our second track here, Titanic in the Rock Ice, to me is the moment where they hit the iceberg. This was, uh, I mean, just scrambled, scattered electronics. and. There's, to me, I, I thought of uh, something like broken navigational equipment or telegraph equipment. Like, yeah, me too. The unanswered distress calls, perhaps, is is what's going on on this track. And this is where we are now. We're Titanic in the rock ice, right? There, they are. They have hit a glacier and they're sinking, taking on water. And I can only imagine the panic that sets in. And this, the sound fills 
the room with that panic, that frantic, uh, everyone at different levels of distress and panic and freaking out and trying to figure out what's going on. And there's this, I mean, there's a lot of like strange synth note kind of sample and hold sequence insanity. It is just all over the place. And there's also this sort of percussive white noise in the background that yes, that undercurrent m- more apparent with certain notes. It, it comes out a bit more and it's, it was really, it just lend this really uneasy air to this whole piece. Uh, it, it gives the, the whole track gives a, an atmosphere of failure. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, pa- panic was a word I wrote multiple times because that was the sense. Right. And it's, it's the, you know, the, the, the panic of trying to get in the lifeboats. Now that's another thing that's important to note is that they're, wo- they're, the Titanic was woefully unprepared in terms of lifeboats. Correct. And so there wasn't enough lifeboats for everyone on board. Now, the panic also of who's going to get on those lifeboats. Now, Gray, what do you think the percentage of women, children, and men who perished? How do you think that breakdown goes? I have absolutely no idea. Well, so we've got, the overall survival rate for men was only 20%. Survival rate for women and children were 74% and 54% respectively. So it was couples being split up, people that were together, parting ways, fathers kissing their children goodbye, sending their wife and kids out on a boat because, again, the time, it was all, it's always women and children first on the light boats. Was but it the families th- just split was it 900 people survived or how many, how many survived? 700, yeah. around, around 710. 700. And so yes, it was the women and children first idea of lifeboat usage. And that's exactly what did happen. Far more men died because they let the women and children take the lifeboats and yeah. sacrifice themselves. And, and that's what people say on the scenes of the sinking ship. It was like, some of the most profound displays of compassion and bravery that they had ever seen. Also coupled with some pretty phenomenally cowardly and mean spirited things, but truly like the stories that survive are people selflessly trying to save others, trying to get other people to safety. And then also, you know, taking a stab at maintaining their dignity and their final moments in this situation that is, Absolutely terrifying. I mean, I don't know how you can maintain composure when faced with waters that were 28 degrees, actually below freezing because it's salt water, um, in the middle of the night, in the middle of nothing on a an ocean that looks like glass that is going to swallow you whole. I yeah, mean, just I feel like that even state. getting in a lifeboat doesn't wouldn't mean that I was going to be alive. Like that's exactly yeah. How does that help? I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel doesn't feel like safety. It feels like uh, prolonging. Maybe uh, is that a thing on ships that a that there is enough room in lifeboats for every passenger? Or is there, is there are they normally under? capacity in terms of they did have regulations when the titanic was sent out that they had to have enough lifeboats for every passenger but because the titanic was deemed unsinkable and it was their maiden voyage they took off many of the lifeboats because they thought they wouldn't need them and they wanted the ship to look better for photos so they were not prepared for the situation and a lot of the lifeboats they didn't even fill them to capacity when they sent them off sometimes they'd send a handful of people out and just drop the lifeboat and go this was a state of absolute panic and even after the ship went under um, when people on lifeboats wanted to go back and pick up the survivors uh, many times they were afraid that they would be overwhelmed by people struggling to get in and their boat would capsize so they did not go back and pick up survivors they were you know at, at a distance, um, just watching everybody drown. That's such hubris to take off the lifeboats because you say the ship is unsinkable because you've, you've determined it is, you've figured out that it's unsinkable, yeah. right? Because you have these airtight compartments, you have this super thick hull, all these whatever measures you might have in place. But 
don't just like don't tell me that your ship that's going out for its maiden voyage is unsinkable. Take that thing out for a hundred years, then you got an unsinkable <laughs> ship. Right, right, right. Then one, you know. it's not unsinkable. <laughs> you know, right, you gotta and prove they, it, you know. Yeah, right. And, and <laughs> ram really, it into something first, and then say it's unsinkable. The, te- the test runs. Yeah, it was. It was only like I said. I, it was only finished like a week or so before. Well, I mean, they had to tile the Turkish bath. I mean, come on. Right. But I mean, it was, it was only finished a week or so before the voyage. So they did test runs, but like you said, you know, to me, and I obviously again, you know, hindsight, (laughs) we're looking back a hundred years. We're like, you know, it's obviously they should Mm -hmm. have tested a lot more, but at the time, you know, I'm sure everything was booked and they would just had to get it done. Right. Meet the deadline. And so, it's yeah, it's obviously it's so tragic that they were ill equipped for this. And and like you said, I mean, just getting a life. that doesn't mean that to me, that wouldn't necessarily mean because you're still they were 200 mm-hmm. miles away from yep. land. Right. Yeah. So actually, the it, it moved, like I said, it only it took a week or they, it was planning on a week. Right. Each night it went each day. It went five, 600 miles, right? So, you know, it's covering pretty good ground. And uh, uh, I love the name of the ship that did come to save the people is the uh, Carpathia. I think I love that. Uh, So good. And so... But I think of this, the thing that resonates across time, across a century, that resonates across cultures and the reason that we can come back to it. And I think that you know, even seed mouth captured is, it is that like hubris, like you were saying, gray, it is that thing where humans are like, Hey, we finally uh, made something that can resist the elements. We're smarter than you nature. We're doing this. Look how far we've come. And then we are just promptly knocked off that pedestal and reminded of the fragility of life and made to remember, you know, the situation of us within nature where we do feel vulnerable, where we do feel like animals, where we do have to confront um, the nature of existence. And I, I think that's why that everybody thinks about the Titanic and the Titanic was missing. Like we didn't discover that until 1985. It was so, missing for a very, very long time. I do remember the first photos and, and like Nat Geo as a little girl being so excited to like get that issue so that I could look because, you know, that ship had been swallowed whole and in such cold waters that they just didn't discover it. It was dragged hundreds of miles. It wasn't even exactly swallowed whole. It was swallowed in half. It was in two pieces. And it's actually important to know too, how fast this all happened. So 1140, they hit the iceberg. It's around in the 2 a.m. hour where it's just gone. 220, 230. About two hours, two and a half hours, or maybe three hours. And like, what if you didn't wake up and you're on the lower hulls? Because they said it was just a mild tremor. I mean, we've slept through some earthquakes. I don't. Yeah. I, I feel we slept like through three or four before we were awake for one. I feel like we'd probably wake up, but <laughs> I don't think we would. We I think we'd still be awake, honestly, at eleven forty. So oh, there's the, certainly. So there's there's a little thing. But, but, I'll just knock on but some I, wood So here. I think the Titanic and the rock ice again. It it gets to that panic and hysteria, and even the sort of repetitive repetitiveness of mm-hmm. the electronics. But then there is an undercurrent to me that's the undercurrent of the dark waters. But just that hysteria panic that must have for just those for those three hours. And then after. Yeah. I mean, right. when you're just floating in the middle of the freezing ocean, which is in darkness. Can't yeah, be underestimated. With you know no just moon. the night sky out, right? Yeah, there, yeah, it was a new moon, uh, no clouds, but there was no light to be had. And this Titanic and Rock ice is it's it's raw it's frantic it's foreboding but it's got this like a floating panic like that undercurrent is somehow just like that same like gorgeous peaceful but on top of it it is can't say the word panic enough frantic panic okay you know what we've said it we said it frantic panic i think it's the word the word of the episode yeah you know the other thing that struck me with this track was uh especially because of the sort of erratic nature of the sequence that's going on is confusion not just panic yes Mm -hmm. confusion plays really heavily into this piece for me and that's sort of what it is is that scrambled you said hysteria like that just just confusion and what do you do what do you do when the ship you're on is sinking 
that was unsinkable Man. that minutes before you were having a nice time, maybe you were on the deck enjoying, you know, or at the bar enjoying a drink or doing, you know, some other activity on this giant luxury cruise ship. And now it's sinking. A delicious 1912 cocktail. Oh, sounds good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we just go make some. Yeah. Because I'm not going without some, Mike. I'm not going to, well, like, get on a boat. What are you going to do? <laughs> Hell no. Maybe we can find a way to, like, hook a lot of light fest together and, like, uh, make a little raft or something. I don't know. We're in it together craft for sure. Craft something quickly. But no, you're right. I mean, and, and again, this was designed for luxury. So, you know, the food was incredible. You know, the cocktails were incredible. Yes. You know, just the accommodations were incredible. So, right. You're just living. You're just kind of you're there's not a care the in the world, is right? Playing. You're just that has been disproven, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> the whole band going down with the ship. I, I I'm pretty know. sure that's been disproven. I don't know. But the but yes, how crazy is that, though, that it wasn't until 1985 that it was found? That actually, when I read that, it surprised me. But then Tara's like, do, I, she's like, yeah, I do remember that. And I'm like, I guess I have so, mm-hmm. some sort of elementary school remembering of talking about the Titanic. Oh, my God. End. I've always you been would, obsessed with sunken ships. But you would so think I that, remember it so vividly. <laughs> right. You would kind of think that it would be relatively easy to find. They know where it happened. How far could it have really gone? Well, that, like I mean, 200 miles. Yeah. Water, water, <laughs> water, that water moves. Right. That water right. is right. constantly moving. It might not right. look like it, but it is right. traveling just. It, it can dwarf the largest movable object on the earth at that yeah. time. Yeah. Like, that's how like terrifying. It's nothing. That's how terrifying the ocean is. It is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. we had Twilight City. Mm. And this is a perfect companion piece to me to Ghost mm-hmm. Voice of Titanic. Uh, it's this this buried melody and just faint sort of wind and these thuds, this twisting synth tone, and even some vocalizations, but they're they're muted and and oh, mutated. Yeah. And his vocalizations are always so good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, this mouse vocals are are wild because you can't tell when they're happening. And when you're watching the video, it's so interesting to see when he's using vocals. Yeah. And yeah, this is just a beautiful finale to this whole album. And yes, a perfect companion piece to Ghost Voice of Titanic. And it's to me it was the, you know, we're under the dark waters. The disaster is complete and those left will go on to the Twilight City. And things will never be the same. So it's a somber way to end because it's a somber memory that all these people are going to have that'll probably it'll certainly never you know go away right and it's just this beautiful final undercurrent that comes up right at the end of this track too that just completes the entire album that to me is just he was on something a different level of thinking about composition thinking about his noise and just takes it to a place that only I think he could take it to. And how evocative is Twilight City? Just that, just Perfect. those words, those Perfect. like two simple words together. And just so many like images like run through your head of like, you know, seeing a city at night or even if you're on the ocean and you see something in the distance and it's dark, or maybe even it looks like a twilight city with the boats, you know, trying to stick together and wait for the next ship. It's, it's so evocative. Absolutely. And even just the, all the use of words in this, the album's Titanic ghost voice of Titanic Titanic and the rock ice, the repetition of the word Titanic. And then the final track twilight city. So the repetition of Titanic until you get to the final track, because the Titanic no longer exists. It's gone. So, you, the, so there's no, there's no Titanic in the final track. I remember thinking as a child, like, why didn't the people just get a stand on the iceberg after it's, the ship it's, crashed? It's absolutely. I think the, <laughs> it's so the, crazy. And like, there are pictures of the one that they think took the Titanic out. Uh, and because it had red paint on one of the outcrops and it's, there's no, you can't, it's just the most pointy. It's an ice mountain. Crazy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's no yeah. way. There's yeah, no there's way no, that you could do anything no, like no, no. that. That like, would be impossible. Yeah. It's the, the nothingness, the frigid waters, the, 
inhospitable nature of that environment just can't be stressed enough. And I think that's also why it's so impactful. But Twilight City just made me think about And especially because we were watching along with the Kingdom of Noise video where you see the smoke rising from boiling water and you watch a cigarette burn down into ashes. So all that's left is that like ashy corpse, you know, and you just let one burn out. And I thought that that was so perfect for what these sounds are because it's, yeah, it's, it's about everyone's ephemeral existence, the ephemeral nature of sound, the, the wisping away, floating away and smoke just dissolving into the ether. And that's where we're left at the end of this album. Titanic by Seedmouth. To me, an absolutely perfect album. Obviously, if you haven't, if you, if you zoned out for the last <laughs> hour, you missed just how, much we love this. If you're tuning right back in now, well, hey, we say this is mandatory. And Voice of Flem, the other. Oh, and Voice of Flem. Oh, Voice on, of Flem, uh, yes. CD reissue oh, of Seed Mouth. Yes. Uh, an equally fascinating and different album than this. Totally so. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally different. And we could have discussed either album for this, but there's just an ineffable quality to this album that I think hit us all in such a such a way that we just knew this is the one we had to talk about and you know hey hopefully they're looking at reissuing some more stuff to make this stuff more widely available because i mean you know there's he's got a he's got a nice nice little discography you know it's it's not you know it's it's not an obe discography you know it's not an msbr discography but there's a nice chunk of stuff there and it is pretty unavailable and so i i think this is important enough to be made available again so people can really get into the world of seed mouth and you know the nuance absolutely yeah. and you know passed away in 2010 he is you know it's it's sad to think about all the fallen noise artists but the beautiful thing is the work they left so they'll always live on We'll always be listening. We'll always be talking about these artists. Yeah, to we have continue. a way to communicate with Seedmouth through his work and through enjoying exactly. it and, yes. and interpreting and reinterpreting it. So, and in our little way, we you know like to use this platform to keep their spirit alive. So, go pick this up and let Titanic wash over you. Absolutely great. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Thank you, Seedmouth. Thank you, Seedmouth. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noiseextra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.